When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Mike, co-host of Realistic Sustainability, the podcast, which you probably already know, but I'm also the author of A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life. That was the book that led to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, and, well, even this show. It offers tips on promoting your positive footprint while decreasing your carbon footprint. So, if you want to read what started all of this, get A Beginner's Guide to Greening Your Life, available on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or just visit greeningyourlife.org for more information. Thank you for joining the sustainable movement and promoting a greener future. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. Hey, brother. How are you? I'm not too bad. Today was one of those beautiful, warm, I say warm in Michigan, almost 50 warm days right after our big old snow blizzard yeah it actually felt amazing outside i was really impressed how fast everything melted and actually cleared up compared to how bad it was a couple days ago yeah we just like spent hours outside trying to clear driveways just for it to get to be 48 degrees and here i was working in my office with my back door open for the breeze yeah, it was wonderful. Um, one of the things I thought was really impressive is when I got home, my son had uh, shoveled all the slush off of our walkway and our driveway. So I got a nice paved space to put the truck in today. It hasn't seen pavement in a couple weeks. It was nice, nice. Nice. Well, this week, we've decided to have some discussions about wind turbines. Since they're in the news, well, not probably now when this uh, episode gets released, but we're recording this just after the great blizzard of Texas and all of the information coming out talking about wind turbines freezing. So we decided to have an episode about it. I think that's actually a good idea. And I, I want to say before we really get into this, these situations are a uh, all-you-can-eat buffet for people that prey on the ignorant. And what I mean by that is that this is not the first time in ever that Texas has had these kinds of situations. I think it's like the first time in 70 years that's had something this bad, but it does happen. Not nearly often enough for them to take the proper preparations for it, but it is not the the be-all, end-all that some people in the media would want you to believe it is. It is terrible, it is tragic, and there's a lot of people suffering. That is absolutely certain. But it is something that does happen. And when you talk about wind turbines, because there are turbines in Texas, uh, wind, I believe it's wind, supplies 25% of the power to the power grid. And they just weren't ready for what they got. Yeah, I mean, Texas has a lot of wind power. It's not as high as 25. I think the last one I read was between 12 and 15. But that's a lot. Uh, to put that into perspective, Michigan is one of the best places to get wind, and we we collect about 8% of our energy. 8.4% comes from wind. So Texas gets a lot of its power from wind, at least a lot of its renewable, but it's still not their whole grid, if you will. 
But, but but this isn't supposed to be an episode purely on Texas and their grid failures and, and things like that. I just wanted to bring it up because, boy, Facebook and news channels and to me, they're all kind of the same thing anymore. It's all about the headline. And yeah, they can freeze, but it's because they weren't maintained as if they're going to freeze. It's funny. They talk about how wind turbines can't function, but here they are in Michigan during those blizzards. They're in North Canada. They're up and down the, the coast of the, of the Northeast, just getting bombarded and rocking right along. So it is what it is. And we'll, what I wanted to do this week is talk about the pros and cons of wind turbines because honestly wind power has been used for thousands of years well i okay so if you're referring to like thousands of years you're probably talking about like sailboats and mills i think that an actual windmill they used to use it to turn gears and grind things inside of buildings but uh, isn't that how they used to grind wheat into flour yep there there was that there was it would pump water it quite often moved water from one place to another, but you had a lot of, it's just used the mechanics to accomplish anything it needed. So wind power is not exactly a new thing. We've just taken it to a whole new level as in, in the last 20 years. Well, if you're talking whole new level, you must mean the actual height because those things are enormous, but really, you know, wind's always been around. And so all we're really doing is finding more efficient ways to harness the force that's already there. Well, and for fun, because I have it queued up and I was going to talk about it at some point anyways, the size of wind turbines. So the oh, ones there. that you see here in Michigan, mm-hmm. those are usually either 50, 100 or 500 kilowatt systems. Those are maybe twice the height. The The 500 kilowatt is probably maybe fi- twice the height of the White House. Wow, that's pretty big, though. Well, but it's it's one of the smallest ones you'll find in the United States. So for an example, an 800 kilowatt unit is about 25% taller. But then you start to get into the ones that you see in the ocean, the offshore ones. Yeah, so you, I've never actually seen one in real life. I have. You can, I saw them from a flight and I wasn't landing. I was flying between England and the rest of Europe because we were on our way to Amsterdam. And it was okay. just this massive grid of white dots. So from a plane, I could see the wind turbines. And those those are two to three megawatt units. These are twice the height of the of the Statue of Liberty. That is insane. Well, it's not as, as insane as it gets. There's now an eight megawatt wind turbine that they have for offshore use. And that the base of it. OK, so the base up to where it connects to the fan itself on the turbine okay. is as tall as the Washington Monument. That's 100. Are you serious? It's 169 meters tall and it's almost as wide. The wingspan is almost as wide as the Washington Monument. That is intensely. Where where are those at? Most of those, those are new. Those are the new GE ones. You're, you're going to see those up the eastern coastline. Those are offshore units. Well, they'd have to be to be that big. I mean, there's no place in... Well, I guess there are probably places in, on land where you could have one, but that is... That's intense, man. That's nuts. Oh, it's massive. Absolutely massive. But I want to... Ever, ever, we always start with the good stuff. Let's start with the negatives, because there are some negatives to wind turbines. Okay. And, and the best way to understand it is to go through it, and you're going to hear it from people anyways, so it's mm-hmm. best to know. 
So one of the bigger complaints that is an older complaint that I haven't heard a lot recently, but it is still out there, is that they create visual and noise pollution. Noise pollution? Really? Yeah, I I looked it up. A wind turbine, because it does have moving parts and friction and, you know, all that fun jazz, can create between 50 and 60 decibels of noise. So for an example, 50 decibels is if you were listening to an electrical transformer. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Mm Mm-hmm. If it creates 50 to 60 decibels of noise, at what range is that, you know, audible? Can you hear that? Considering how tall they are, is that, and is that the, it emanates as sound for the entire windmill or just the top that spins? No, it's primarily the, the top portion that is going to, that gives off that noise. So you shouldn't hardly be able to hear it when you're on the ground. Well, and it's, and I didn't, although I did look up the decibels and all that, I didn't look at the distance and how far for travel, because I think it varies. Okay. But for an example, 60 decibels is an air conditioning unit. Okay. So if you're, it, it, it does create noise. Now, does it create more noise than a coal factory? Probably not. Or an oil pump? Probably not. But it does create the noise. It does exist. And you do see them, you know, even though they're painted white and they're painted white for more than one reason, you still see them in the distance. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you bought a retirement spot and the window was aimed perfectly at this large field that you love to look at and someone stuck a wind turbine in the middle of it, I would think it's cool, but not everybody. No, I I, I think that the concept is cool. And once you understand their purpose, you start to develop an appreciation for them. But the very first time I ever seen them, we were driving through Ithaca and there's fields of them out there. And it's different it's something to be seen and they're not exactly attractive see and i think they're just cool to watch but that is that is me being me with the things i enjoy you know so that's not the most common i get no i understand that and i respect it i'm just you know saying from someone who's never seen them before they aren't exactly the uh, the most attractive thing if you're not into that kind of stuff you being you know heavy to sustainability and really being passionate about you know clean energies and renewable energy and almost endless energy like like revolutionizing the way we we live here i understand why you love them that like that but there's a lot of them that there's a lot of people that don't feel the same way right i understand that and it 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 is what it is but to me they're just it's not something that you expect to see all the time. Now, maybe if you're always looking out there and you're always seeing it, it's like if someone lives in Hawaii, it's just normal, beautiful to them. To me, seeing a wind turbine, I'm the guy that pulls over and watches them, you know, (laughs) because they're just huge. And the engineering that goes along with it is interesting to me. Oh, for sure. Even though they're white, and I did find out they're painted white on purpose to reduce the heat because... Yeah, it reflects the light. Yep, although, well, because they can also warp. They'll swell and warp if they were black from the heat. But also the... They're also not black because the heat in there. Although we've been talking about them freezing, it used to be people put on Facebook of them catching on fire. Remember in the past you saw videos of them catching on fire? No, I actually have not. There's been a couple of them out there, and those were still white, but what it was was those those did not get the proper maintenance. So you've got, you know, interaction between parts, and you've got friction in there, you've, and things can catch on fire. And those used to be the ones they passed around the internet saying how horrible and dangerous it was. But now, let's address the one thing that got a pencil thrown at me a long time ago. Do wind, do wind turbines kill birds? Um, that's a loaded question. Um, so <laughs> birds fly by a certain like sense of navigation that's like built into their bodies. They see the world differently than we do, and they follow lines and 
sometimes it's going to run them right into something they shouldn't run them into. I have seen birds fly directly into big windows. And I don't mean like, oh, they bumped it. I mean, straight head on and hit it instantly pass away and fall down. Do windmills kill birds? I'm sure a very small portion of birds probably pass away from windmills, although most birds don't fly that high. So I think that it's probably not that many. And it probably doesn't even compare to how many get killed by cats and other predators. Yeah, and that's pretty much about it is that and I made the joke I got a pencil thrown at me because people were very mad. They were they were there to defend the birds. And I understand that. And it's not that I'll say it's okay for birds to hit wind turbines, but you're right. They they follow the Earth's magnetic fields, the lines mm-hmm. from their fields. Matter of fact, every time we have multiple earthquakes, those those lines move a little bit because North Pole moves a little bit. Every, Absolutely. Every once in a while, one of those lines will flip up into space and birds will follow that line still. There was uh, in the news not probably a couple of years ago, a bunch of doves just flew up basically into, I'm not going to say space, but it, basically into the the high atmosphere, froze to death and fell back to earth. They didn't, they, they weren't trying to commit suicide. They thought they were doing what they were supposed to do by following their magnetic line that had changed. So we can't see that. We can't move the wind turbine to avoid it. But, mm-hmm. honest, but honestly, about 250,000 birds a year are killed by wind turbines. A million or a million plus hit windows. And like you said, if you really want to protect birds, 6.5 B billion birds die from feral cats ever. Well, there you go. That's your big hit right there. Right. So if you hear someone pushing the wind turbines can't be built because they're harming the environment in this manner, understand that is not measured against anything. Because anything that you can measure that kills birds usually kills more birds than a wind turbine. So the next thing that I hear a lot about and I've recently been seeing is that wind turbines can't be recycled. Why? (laughs) Well, what you're going to see on most sites is a big pile of blades where they mass bury wind turbine blades. So the first and second generation of wind turbines that were put up are now being decommissioned and you're seeing large piles of blades being buried in the ground. That is true. As it speaks right now, that is absolutely what is happening. That seems like they're not trying hard enough to do stuff with them because there's got to be things you can do with that. Well, let's let's look at the whole wind turbine real quick. First of all, between 71 and 79% of that wind turbine is steel. That is recycled and can be recycled. Absolutely. So we're nearly 80% of the structure. And it can be that can be recycled. The blades, the blades account for 11 to 16 percent of the whole mass of the wind turbine. And that is plastic, resin and fiberglass. Those are not currently recycled. Okay, so that fits right in with the photos. You can see them on Facebook. You see them on the news. That is a reality. So first generation wind turbines are coming down and they're just burying the the blades they don't know what else to do with them and that is you know it is what it is there's between five and 17 percent is cast iron about two percent aluminum and one percent copper so the only parts of those that cannot be recycled is the fins or the blades well it's kind of i feel like people aren't trying hard enough things i feel like if they really put their mind to it they'd find uses for those things I'm not saying that they sh- they can be refurbished, but I mean, they're they're already shaped. They're huge. There's got to be something you can do with them. I mean, there has to be. It's just 
They're way too big to bury, Mike. They're massive. Well, but it takes investment and it takes a purpose. So now that wind is becoming more prominent, there are companies out there looking for ways to recycle them or refurbish. Can they refurbish those blades and get them back on the next generation turbine? Because a turbine lives 15 to 25 years, depending on its maintenance. That's a pretty decent lifespan. And if you can get mm-hmm. those blades on a second turbine, you're talking 30 to 50 years of use. That buys a lot of time to figure out how to recycle them. Well, yeah, it's it's kind of, I'm reaching here, but it was the same concept with when they figured out that you could reuse rockets. It cuts the cost drastically. So if you can keep that uh, that embodied energy as low as possible and reuse those pieces on top of you making it much cheaper to build, then, then do it. And it keeps it out of our ground. I mean, if you said it fiberglass, that doesn't break down for a very, very long time. Yeah, and that is that is a problem. But I want to remind everybody who's listening right now, I'm not just saying that because it's a negative. I'm saying I'm, I am acknowledging the negative. But if you had a coal plant, how many tons of coke get buried how many times how many gallons of water are used when you wash out those tanks and clean the your your oven areas there all the things that get used in a natural gas a coal and an oil plant are far 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 exceeding burying even what they do now which is just those blades yeah that yeah you're not wrong and we're still not counting their emissions from burning their feedstock to begin with well, you're just ruining everyone's day, aren't you? <laughs> well, actually, it's when you get to the pros that uh, start to ruin some people's days. But there there are a few more cons I want to hit real quick before I move on. First of all, they're expensive. They're expensive to build up front. They're cheap to run and they're cheap to maintain. And matter of fact, in 2018, even though subsidies for wind and solar were cut dramatically from, from 2016 to 2018, Mm -hmm. and coal and oil subsidies were increased 2018 was the first year that wind was cheaper to produce electricity than coal or oil wow so even though they have an upfront cost it is now cheaper to produce wind power than it is to burn a chunk of coal when okay so let me ask you a question if they're cheap to build what is the initial cost to build one no, they're not cheap to build. These are, I'm sorry, you're right. I misspoke. If they're expensive to build, what's the initial cost to build one? I don't know that. It is. There's an ROI that goes along with it. Usually your payoff period, if I remember from class years ago, was somewhere around seven years. So you've got wow. f- 15 to 25 years of production, but you pay it off within the first seven to 10 years. But from there... That's pretty intense. Your, your cost per kilowatt hour is quite quite cheap, quite low. And the last con that I had on the list was they're inconsistent. What do you mean they're inconsistent? Yeah, even though you find your normal, you know, your normal lanes that air travels through, there are times the air doesn't, you know, the wind doesn't blow and they get shut down. You'll see them so, stopped even on windy days. That's just locked up, you know. So you, yeah, you're not talking about like they're not inconsistently built or the quality. You're talking about the production because that's based solely upon something that we can't control. Right, right. Because that's one of the biggest appeals to fossil fuels is we can dial it up and turn it down, especially natural gas. If you want more fire, you add more gas. If you want to slow down a, a nuclear plant, you have to plan two weeks in advance. But if you want instant gratification for energy 
gas and oil have been the way to go. Wind, you don't get that option. You get it when you get it, and you don't when you don't. So it, it requires a little more thought, and it requires a little more effort, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So let's go into some of the some of the good stuff. First of all, it's clean energy. If the wind stops blowing permanently, we've got problems. Much, much, much bigger than energy. <laughs> yes, we do. And yes, by the way, you'll hear me say, especially in the book that I wrote, wind is solar power. So it is just convection. As the sun hits the planet, the air moves. Hot air chases towards cold air. <laughs> Hot air rises, cold air sinks. It's just that's where wind comes from. It's just at a much larger scale than opening the oven. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously, although I would say I've never considered it. I've never thought about it as convection. You're completely right. I've never really thought about it like that. So when you hear someone and I have heard someone say you can run out of wind. Well, we in eight minutes, we're going to have bigger problems because that yeah. means the sun is missing. Yeah, we don't want that. We kind of need the sun here. Yeah, I'm a fan. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, Well, I yeah, I don't have it. I, I wanted to have something really intelligent and snarky to say, but there was just nothing there. I mean, I had nothing. <laughs> We're both pretty tired today. So another positive from using wind turbines is most energy production uses a tremendous amount of water. It doesn't matter if you're talking nuclear. It doesn't matter if you're talking coal fire. Uh huh. They use tons and tons and tons of clean, fresh water that shouldn't necessarily be used for energy production. We don't use any of that for a wind turbine. Well, that's good. Like you would think, so we talk a lot about water and stuff like that. Um, my concern when it comes to using too many resources is not the use of the resource, but the, the mindless waste of it. And so if we have a way to build a machine that helps us get clean energy that doesn't use a lot of water, then I think we should automatically be leaning towards it. I understand it takes money. I understand that. But I mean, if you tell me it's not using water, I am going towards it super fast. Yeah, it's we just recently talked about how water is joining the commodities list on stocks. They're they're monetizing something that we require to live. The last thing I want is to use more fresh water for things that that don't help us directly with nourishment. So wind turbines, that's another advantage. You're not constantly pumping water into them to accomplish whatever you're trying to do. Another thing is it does create a job boom. In, in 2020, there's over 114,000 jobs in 500 wind-related manufacturing companies in 43 states, and that's when it's not getting support. Wow, that's that's impressive. Remember, that's as as clean energy was starting to be defunded in many ways from 2016, even through today. So even though it received less subsidies, it's growing and creating jobs anyways. Imagine if we actually invested in wind. Wow, that'd be fantastic. I mean, so how many states, Michael, uh, could effectively utilize wind as a source of energy? How many states have enough space? where they could be built and they wouldn't negatively influence the surrounding area? Well, kind of a loaded question in some cases because it does vary. But for an example, Hawaii, Hawaii by 2030 wants to be 100% driven and can sell electricity from that point on. Because that's one thing. If you get too much wind, remember, we don't have a place to put extra electricity. That's true. 
So we sell it. And even in the United States, as small of amounts as of wind as we're doing compared to other countries, we've still, since 2012, sold $400 million worth of electricity to 26 other countries. That's a lot. So, for an example, China. China wants to be 60% clean energy by 2050. That's a massive undertaking for the size of that country and the amount of people they have there. Because they expect that not only will it make industry nearly free, because remember, if you have a factory, electricity is a big cost. It's a huge cost. But if you can, wipe, if, if you can wipe it out, that dramatically changes the cost profile. So China is focused on completely re- removing the cost of energy and then selling it to their neighbors. That's a well, that's a great way to drum up income for the country. Yeah. So both most countries in Europe are like, for an example, Germany, who is a third on coal. They plan to be by 2050 100 percent away from coal. So what they're Good. doing is they're training all of their coal workers and in, in the regions where that's important how to work with solar and wind so that they don't lose the workers for the industries and people don't feel left behind. They're just training them to jump to the next job. They don't have to go underground. They don't have to work these heavy machineries. They don't have to, I mean, when I think coal, I think black lung. You now work outside. You now work with wind and you're doing production. You're doing assembly. I'm sorry. It also shows that they care for their their industries, that they're taking the extra steps to train their workforce, you know, for what they want to do next. And that's that's fantastic. There's a lot of people that just kind of do things in the world with, you know, with the best of intentions, but don't think things through as much as I don't want to give some of these countries credit. That says a lot about, you know, what they're trying to do for their environment and their workforce. Yeah. I mean, if you want people to to move with you as as things change, you have to bring them with you. You can't just say we're changing. That makes everybody think they're being left behind. You just create job programs to allow people to go from one job to the next job. And truthfully, the second one's going to be easier. The ones in oh, clean for energy, sh- yeah, the for ones sure. in, the ones in clean energy are just going to be better jobs. Now, there's some interesting things about offshore wind that I like. For an example, recently I had a, a listener send me a message very concerned about wind turbines, one of them for the recyclability and the other one for the damage it causes when it goes in, when they put it into an ocean. And okay. The, and what they were talking about were all very valid points, but there were some pieces m- missing there. Yes, if you're doing construction in the ocean, you are disrupting that ecosystem, guaranteed. Mm-hmm. I uh, guarantee with, with noise, all that stuff is going to disrupt the ecosystem. But once, and remember, there's a bunch of different ways they do wind turbines. I, I didn't know this, but a lot of them can float. They actually just get tied to the bottom, but. Okay, I didn't know that either. <laughs> and in much deeper areas, they just float. But most of them will have these big cement pillars at the base of them, which, okay. which now become artificial coral reefs. As, as it's there for any given time, the salt water is in there, the wildlife comes back, and it starts to grow into a reef. So if they replace that wind turbine, they can replace it on the exact same base, and you disrupt less of the ecosystem. Even though the vibrations and noise can cause concerns, you now give a, a artificial reef in the ocean for more wildlife. The Another thing I like about it is is when you have a wind farm in the ocean, 
companies can't fish them. The larger ships can't go in there. And the, for two reasons, there's regulation that says you can't. But the other reason is it's the, they have large fishing ships in a large ocean area and they can't be near the wind turbines. So it gives fish a safe haven, a place where they can go breed. Well, actually, you know, truth be told, that's a very interesting concept. I'm not really looking at fish per se, but a lot of the large aquatic mammals, not the huge ones, but a lot of like the subspecies of whales that are critically endangered because they, they don't breed very often. And when they do breed, they generally have one one baby at a time. And then that baby has however many years before it's a breeding age. That would be a great place should almost if it were viable in terms of the air and stuff to put those in places where they nest and where they reproduce because anything to stop the ships from from you know hunting them i think that is it kind of like killing two birds with one stone for a lack of a better expression it's, i think it's a really great idea and i never i didn't know they weren't allowed to fish those waters once they were up i didn't realize there was regulations prohibiting it yeah i found that to be pretty interesting as a as a positive so now you have a item that has elect- it's producing electricity. It's producing it cheaper than most methods we currently have. Mm-hmm. And even though you've disrupted the wildlife to put it in, it kind of creates a safety barrier for other wildlife. So as it calms down and, and, and the wildlife comes back, it's actually safer to be near it than it is to be away from it. Yeah, I mean, and, and truthfully, so when they discuss putting these things in, and you're right, a lot of them have concrete pillars and stuff, I would assume that when they decide they're going to put however many in this wind farm, they do their homework and they diligent, diligently look for a place, or tediously, or meticulously, whatever you know word that I can't pronounce right now, look for a place in the ocean that has minimal life, that's where it's going to have a minimal negative impact on, on the environment and the ecosystems. I'm sure they're not just going to go to the Great Barrier Reef and go, yep, that's where we're putting it. I, I think that it would make sense if they're going to put these up. I'm sure they have to look for the best possible place. They're primarily looking for high wind locations and then and then secondary looking from there. But Well, there's that. <laughs> but it's still coastal regions. It's funny because the further you go north, the, the stronger the wind is, the better they function. So you start getting into northern California, you know, up through Washington, and then on the other side around Maine and into Canada, they function great. And there is amazing wildlife that can be protected at the same time once they're there. I think it's actually a really cool concept. I can't believe I never thought of that. And I also didn't know anything about it. So that's wonderful. Well, so it's not, it's a give and take. It's almost like the hydroelectric dams. When we first put it in there, it devastates an area, screws up biodiversity. But over time, it creates its own ecosystem. Wind turbines, is, it takes it a step further and creates protections. Yeah. And I think that is something that is a, a marketable concept that they should really push when they're trying to sell people on introducing these to certain areas. Cause there's a lot of, a lot of hot, and I'm not going to say hostility, but there's always a lot of static, you know, when you want to introduce something new to an area, people don't like what they don't, what they're not familiar with. And so I think that's something that should be used as kind of a, a plus, a pro, if you will, because I think that wind is probably the future. I mean, I don't know. I think solar is wonderful, but I think that wind's a little more efficient, in my opinion, and it blows 24-7, not just during the daytime. Well, yes, it, uh, for some reason, there's a large chunk of people who think that the wind stops on the clock, but... You're not you're not serious, are you? Well, I mean, it's, it's, all, it's kind of like how people get upset because they'll say you can't use a solar panel in a, on a shady day. If you can see me, there's photons. There's light, <laughs> but 
what you're talking about is NIMBY, not in my backyard, is the is the complaint you get from people. It's, it actually has a term. Ah, that's Nin- bad. I've never heard of that. <laughs> so if you drive down between your house and my house down 13, there, there's someone paid for signs put in their front yard that says no wind. As you go, there's more and more like political size signs down the road that just say no wind. That is an attempt to keep wind turbines from farmlands. That's all right. So here's my I'm just going to jump on this grenade and take it. If you're a farmer and you own hundreds of acres and you decide one day that you want to do something different and you want to put in a wind farm or a solar farm. And if you have the money to do it or if you have a company willing to come in and invest and that's what you want to do, then it should be your right to do it. I could give a crap less what the neighbors think in that regard. I honestly don't care. There's, you know, we've talked about this before, just a few miles from here on Judville Road. There's, there, there's, I don't know how many acres, but there's a lot of solar over there and they're putting in more. They've got the the framework, I guess you could call it, to put in another giant field. All they have to do is actually put the panels on. It looks like, looks like everything is already done. Uh, and I think that's wonderful. I don't think it's an eyesore. I think the wind turbines are a little more eerie looking than I do the solar panels, but I think it's more so because the wind turbines are so big and they're they're like looming. And it almost looks like because they're they're long and they're thin and it's it's almost very fantastically imaginative. Like if you look at the way they're built, they're very man-made looking. They don't look organic. Um, not that solar panels do, but solar panels are relatively small. You can walk up and you're taller than most of them, or they're maybe, depending on how they're designed, five, six feet above you. You're not looking at something that's as tall as a skyscraper. I, I think that farmers should be allowed to use their land however they want to, and I support anything that you know gets better energy. Well, just so you know, I looked it up. and The average rent that an individual receives for a wind turbine on their property is $8,000 a year. For a turbine, a single turbine? A single turbine on the property with access, of course, for repairs, will will net on average in the United States about $8,000 a year. Okay, so I have questions. Mm-hmm. You said rent. <laughs> so if a company pays you to use your land to put it up, they pay you $8,000. How many How many acres do you require for one wind turbine? I think it's I don't think they put more than one per acre. Okay, but, but that's great though. If you have one per day if you have one per acre and you have two hundred acres and they put two hundred wind no, turbines up. No, 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 no. Why not? That gets into our efficiencies. So different wind turbine designs need more space because the air travels around them in different ways. For an example, Bet's uh what is it? Bet's limit, which is a theoretical limit through physics from Okay. Albert Betts in 1919 came up with this. How much wind could actually move through a wind turbine? They can only be 59.3% efficient. Okay. Because that's how the wind has to move. If it, if it, if, if it pushes faster, you actually start losing. So you have this wind that moves around them in different ways. So you can't Uh just have one next to another, next to another, next to, they'll start disrupting the wind patterns. Okay. So then how many do you need? How much space do you need between them? I don't know. They now they're smart systems now. They're doing smart grid systems with wind turbines so that each turbine reads what the other turbine is doing to the wind and they can actually adjust themselves and move to be more efficient within their range. So if one one turbine is changing wind flow too much, the other one can move a little bit to to make up the difference. Even if we drastically cut those numbers and put 25 wind turbines on 200 acres, that's a what um well 
10 wind turbines at 8,000 years, 80,000. So you times it by two, that's $160,000. So that's 200, it's $200,000, right? In, in rental space. Yeah. In $200,000, like maybe I'm greedy, which I am, but to some degree, I, I don't think that's a problem. In fact, I wish I had land. I'd, I'd have them stick one right in my yard. I'm like, here you go. Planet. <laughs> right. So. I mean, there is there's a lot of different reasons to have them other than their main reasons. If you have a farm that is struggling, you can take a small corner out back and still farm around it, by the way, and receive a little more income to your property. A little more. That's a lot. That is a lot of money. It is. It really is. I don't think that the average person I think if the average person, let's say, and obviously this probably isn't ever going to happen, but like if for some reason there was a community that had a bunch of random land and, and a company came in and wanted to rent their land for wind turbines, if each house on a block was like, yeah, I got a couple acres, throw one up, eight grand a year, that's a part-time job for most people. That's good money. Well, I'll take this one more step. Lansing, Michigan, is an okay. is a energy provider. What they have done is they've started putting up their own wind turbines. They've, they've done that. They've added solar. And what they're doing is they're using something in Michigan called net metering. No different than if I started throwing some solar panels up, my bill would drop. If I collected more than what I used, I would get a check. Lansing as a city is doing that. They are now selling energy back to consumers energy. So out of that 8.4% wind, I bet you a, a solid percent of that is Lansing. So they're actually putting money in their budget by reducing their energy costs because they're producing their own electricity and then selling the overage to the energy company. Wow, that's amazing. And how come? So I, we live in Michigan. How come that's not more widely known? Uh, because they're still upfront cost. There's, you know, Lansing is a unique, uh, a unique location where they have a they're a college city, a big college city. They have a lot of money within the area, but yet still a lot of rural land where Ann Arbor doesn't have the same kind of advantages. Now, I wanted to do that here in Duran, basically start throwing up solar panels on every city or every city owned building, reduce the cost and then take 80 percent of what we save and reinvest it and keep doing that until we can buy a wind turbine and just let it have a positive feedback loop into the system so that the city creates an income uh, i haven't got that far yet well with all the buildings you guys have in duran that are kind of unused and vacant and on top of that even the ones that aren't vacant you guys don't do anything on the roofs i mean i think that'd be a perfect place for them it's a good place to start it's a good place to start reducing the bills but that's right now we're doing landscaping edible landscaping i'll i'll we'll focus on that a little more later yes let's focus on the food <laughs> but so i'm gonna wrap us up here pretty soon but I want to just a couple of things. If you take a wind turbine, they measure it at a 33, 33% efficiency factor. Okay. So these numbers are not maxed out. Okay. A three megawatt, which is a big wind turbine, not the biggest, but a big one that's offshore okay. can create 6 million kilowatt hours per year. That is enough to run a hundred and I'm sorry. That is enough to run a thousand, 1,500 homes for a year. So one, that's one turbine. One turbine handles could run, 1,500 homes per, in that year. So essentially one turbine could run Montrose. Now, they've made that leap to the 
eight megawatt unit for offshore. Okay. They've designed that much, much larger one. And this is what happens when money makes it into any technology, it consistently gets better. It becomes more efficient, cheaper, and more abundant. And that well, is yeah. what's happening. Well, of course it's going to happen because the people that are in charge of that, at the end of the day, if you own a technology, then capitalism is something that you are definitely a fan of. And you are going to try to do two things, make is make the cost as efficient as possible and make the technology better so it becomes cheaper. So your R&D department is going to be consistently pumping stuff out or trying to. So that makes a lot of sense. So this eight megawatt unit mm-hmm. can do 8,000 homes a year. 8,000? thousand homes a year from just that one turbine that's insane and that's so and that's in the united states where we just waste away we use energy as if it didn't come from somewhere other than magic yeah we really do i mean honestly it's just an expectation that we can have as much as we want and it can still do on an average of eight thousand homes per unit knowing that it would almost Beg the question, how come more small towns don't invest money into in installing one? I say one because if one does that kind, not the giant one, but the first one we talked about, does that many homes, you would think it would make more sense. It would be such an easy investment for towns to make, to pour money into the grid like that. Well, it's not an easy investment, especially in small towns, because they are still expensive. We, I mean, we're talking three and eight megawatts. Lansing's doing the 800 kilowatt, you know, so. Uh-huh. It is a expensive process, but okay. it does its job. Each and every one of those does their job. They put clean, cheap energy into the grid. So how exactly does it work? I mean, I understand that the, the turbine spins, but what what's inside of it? Is it just coiled copper and copper, copper, like a giant alternator? Is that just... Yeah, have you ever had one of those flashlights that you, you just turn you turn the gyro until the light comes on? When I was like four massively ramped up <laughs> i mean it's geared it's, it's got axles in there it's gonna you know so yes it looks like it's spinning really slow but the gears are spinning really fast turning the the generator quickly quickly it creates dc power there's a uh, converter inside that converts it to ac and they send it to a substation that substation collects all the energy from all the different wind turbines ups the voltage much much higher and then sends it into the grid so they up the they always up the voltage because that's how you lose less. Remember, I told you uh, when you transfer energy, about sixteen percent of it makes it. This yeah. is how this is how they can actually transfer that energy and have it be have it get there most of it. Okay, all right, that seems fairly. So they just took an old technology and literally just made it bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, awesome uh, and more efficient each way. It's what we do. So that's what I have for this week. Wind turbines are excellent forms of energy production. And I want to make sure that everybody understands that there are some negatives. But in every industry, there's negatives until you get to, and as they get used and as they are produced more and more, that is when we start solving those engineering problems, like not recycling the the blades. That's where we're at in the United States. As we invest more and more into it, and by the way, it's going to happen with or without government support at this point because it's cheaper. It doesn't matter. Exxon, BP, Shell, they are all buying wind turbines. Well, and they should. They can still sell energy. 
And right now it's like the golden age because now they can sell that energy at the same price they sell their other energy. They're really taking big whacks at making money on it. The more that are out there, the the cheaper it becomes, the better it is for all of us. Well, my hope is that a lot of these companies see the value in it in two different ways. They see like the you know, the earth, like the nature value, but they also see the financial value because, you know, the more companies that do it, the more competition, the lower the prices will get because they're going to want your money and they are going to flood the market, which actually will benefit the consumer greatly. The more they put up, the better it is for us. Yeah. So if, if you're listening and you have questions about wind turbines, go ahead and send them. I I've, I've really enjoyed kind of researching them. If, if, if you heard something in here you feel maybe isn't what you think it is, get a hold of us. We love the conversation and we appreciate it. Also, if you get an opportunity and you're listening from Apple, leave us a review. I'm finding that as, as we get more reviews on different platforms, more people are finding us and we appreciate that. That's all we have for this week. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. And we'll see you next week. If you have the desire to be sustainable but are unsure of what can go in the recycling bin or you're constantly forgetting the reusable grocery bags, check out Starting Sustainability, the podcast. Don't be frustrated or confused anymore. Starting Sustainability was created to help those beginning their sustainable journey. Each week, we give ideas on simple concepts you can easily incorporate into your current lifestyle. We also share stories of what works and what doesn't, so you don't have to waste your time and money. Check out Starting Sustainability, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.